scarred people are often portrayed as being evil or sometimes just pathetic, but always like pretty bad (laughs) in film and TV. And so, you know, partly what I was trying to do with this talk, Scarred Not Scary, is to really call that out Mm. because it's prejudicial. Yeah. I mean, it's awful, right? We We don't do that to any other marginalized group. I defy you to find one. It would be unacceptable. Welcome to Far and Widener, a podcast that explores the far-reaching impact and influence of Widener University and its alumni. At Far and Widener, you'll hear engaging conversations with fascinating alumni, educators, researchers, and industry professionals about the many ways the Widener community strives to shape tomorrow's leaders. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Far and Widener podcast. My name is Anthony Pompili. I'm a senior communications major here at Widener University, and I will be your host for today. I am joined by a very special guest. Dr. Lisa Gare, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's great to have you here. Dr. Daguerre is a practicing psychologist in Pennington, New Jersey. She also has her license out of state in Florida, and she also has her license in Pennsylvania. She is a TEDx speaker, which that's why we're here today. Yeah. Uh, She's the award-winning author of the book, Flashback Girl, Lessons on Resilience from a Burn Survivor, which is an award-winning book. It has endorsements from the New York Times. Dr. Daguerre also received an award with this book from Nautilus, a gold award for memoir and a silver award for memoir from Living Now. Dr. Daguerre graduated from Tufts University and earned her doctorate from Widener University, alumni in the house. And Dr. Daguerre has appeared on NPR, NBC, ABC, and Fox News. But the reason why we are here today is because of the production that Widener has put on in TEDx Widener University, which was held here at Widener, which was a private event through TEDx, the famous public speaking YouTube channel. And Widener put on this amazing event that included five speakers. I actually had the privilege of giving a talk myself, but one of our speakers who is here today, Dr. Lise Deguerre, the title of your speech was Scarred not scary. Yep. Scarred, not scary. So my first question is just for listeners, if you could just describe your story, what happened to you when you were younger with your incident, and we'll start there. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see you again, Anthony, because you, you did a great TED Talk. Um, thank you very much. I was honored to come right after you. So um, yeah, my story begins when I was four years old. I was on vacation with my family up in New Hampshire. It was our first night there. It was time for dinner. And my mother rummaged around the cabin looking for lighter fluid, which she thought that she found. And we stood there together on the porch, and she tried to start this fire, but it didn't start. She took that can of lighter fluid again, which was actually... Unfortunately, not lighter fluid. It was in a highly flammable household solvent. She poured it on the coals, and there was a giant eruption, a flame that enveloped both of us. My father rescued me and um, threw me down, and the lake went basaki, which saved my life. But, you know, at the end of all of that, I was extremely badly burned, especially in 1967. I'm so lucky just to be alive, honestly, because Mm -hmm. I was two thirds burned on my body, third degree. I lost my 
chin and my neck and my lip and I'm just, you know, covered with scars. Still am. Uh, but I was taken to what turns out to be the very best burns hospital in the country at the time, Mass General Hospital, and they saved my life. So the topic of the talk, as you mentioned, is scarred, not scary. And that's about my experiences being a scarred woman and how people react to scars. Right. Yeah. And that's that's my next question, actually. Growing up, because um, you are only four years old, so mm-hmm. you had to experience your whole adolescent life like this. I mean, high school, college, right? <laughs> yep. And I can only imagine as just going through that stage of my life, I wanted to ask you how that was for you mentally. Like you based your entire talk around that really. Mm-hmm. So how was that for you? So I was at the time extremely, extremely disfigured. I am still disfigured, but I look a lot better than I used to. At the time I looked really pretty hideous. And, you know, that's how I started kindergarten. That's how I went to summer camp. And I will say that the kids who knew me were lovely, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. I myself am a very friendly person and I'm nice, you know, and I'm I'm funny. And people respond to that. Like if they know you, people were actually mostly lovely. But the people who didn't know me, especially little kids, could be just brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like now in school, bullying is a topic and bullying is something that is addressed and that people try to make sure it doesn't happen to kids. But back when I was a kid, it was just something you were expected to get through. There used to be a saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of what you were told is like, well, don't let it hurt you. And like, you know, that doesn't really work. Right. So I was, in fact, bullied a lot. And then as I grew older, um, bullying disappeared, more or less, I would say. But it was still, it was very hard to date. It was very hard to find love. And even now, if I go out of the house with my scars exposed in a certain way, I am stared at every time. Uh, People really react to someone who looks different which is normal, but still painful to be on the receiving end of it. Gotcha. Yeah, I can I can only imagine, and I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that and that you've had to deal with that your entire life. But that brings me to my next point. It's interesting that you've gone through all this and you've experienced all these hurtful things with people looking at you or bullying you throughout your life, but you ended up becoming a psychologist and you help people now for a living. And like you just said, you're very nice, right? So did your past kind of guide you to become a psychologist? Yeah. Well, I think that if you really get to know anybody who's a psychologist or social worker or a health mental health care professional, you will probably find somebody who's experienced something that has been challenging. Um, I think a lot of people who go into the helping professions are people who have needed help at some point or another. And... I needed a lot of help and a lot of people helped me and I wanted to be one of those people in return. In addition to that, I will say there's another story that I probably you don't know about that made me pursue being a psychologist, which is that I had an older brother who was uh, extremely gifted, like an absolute genius. My brother, Mark Emil DeGeer, graduated high school in three years. He had virtually perfect SAT scores. 
He was a phenomenal drummer, a very kind person, a lovely soul, extremely successful. But he took his life when he was 19. And that was horrible. And it also really made me think, so what is it that makes some people despair? And what is it that makes other people like me, who you would think like, oh, that poor, pathetic girl, like that's what you definitely would have thought of me when I was a kid. And I'm here and I'm successful. I've done really, really well. And my poor brother, who was an absolute genius, isn't here. So that's one of the reasons why I went into psychology is to try to understand, like, what is that? And how can we help people be more resilient and healthier? Because life's hard. Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry for Mm. your loss. So I wanted to mention your book. So you wrote this book and you said it came out during COVID. Yes. Correct. Did you write it over COVID? No. um, I I started writing it in 2017. Okay. But it came out during COVID. Yep. So it received amazing feedback. So uh, what areas did you cover throughout your book? Was it sort of like your whole life span with what happened to you up till the present? Mm. Yeah. So Flashback Girl is my memoir. And it's a memoir with a slight self-help component because it is my story of growing up and overcoming really pretty tremendous odds to lead a beautiful life in the end and how that happened and, and who helped me and how I got through things. And I wrote it in the hopes of helping other people who are struggling feel like, oh, they can do it too. Because I think there's a lot of people who struggle. So when I say it's a memoir with a self-help component, what I mean is that at the end of every chapter, there is a lesson, lesson one, lesson two, lesson three. And those are me, the psychologist, stepping back from the material that I presented to say, hey, reader, this is something that you can think about. And some of the lessons are about friendship or about pain or about parenting or about suicide or depression and all kinds of things that many of us encounter sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So what I wanted to ask you was, you've written this book, you've appeared on several podcasts, yes. like this one, not in person, you said <laughs> over yep. over the computer, but you've appeared uh, to talk to several people, you've appeared on news channels before, mm-hmm. and you've also done public speaking. But over the summer, or probably before, Widener actually reached out to you Mm -hmm. to do a TED Talk. Now, you hadn't done a TED Talk in the past. First, I'm assuming you were familiar with TEDx before. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Who isn't, right? And what were your first thoughts when you got that email or call? I was so excited. I, I mean, it just seemed to me to be a great opportunity to reach more people. And in particular, my talk being about disfigurement, I was so excited to have the chance to share that experience with people and challenge people to think about disfigurement differently. Gotcha. So you're an amazing public speaker. You also wrote a book. You're very talented. But I wanted to ask you, so for me, at least as a college student, giving a talk myself, the summer was pretty challenging because, (laughs) you know, a lot of preparation goes into performing a TED Talk, especially because you have to memorize it. And most of the talks are over 10 minutes or longer. So I wanted to ask you, how how was your summer leading up to the talk in September? And what type of preparation did you 
do. Yeah, I'm just I'm just smiling right now because um, we definitely shared a similar summer. So I was saying earlier that people say to me, I want to do a TED talk. And I feel like saying, like, are you sure? Right. No, literally. (laughs) It is so hard. So you have to figure out, obviously, a compelling message that you want to deliver to people and how you're going to do that in 18 minutes or less. So there was all the writing of it and Mm. then honing that. And then once I had a script that I was satisfied with, there was this memorization process, which I'm sure you went through as well. You know, I remember kind of breaking things down into 16 parts and I'm like, okay, this week I'm going to work on part one Mm -hmm. and then trying to make sure, okay, now how do I get from part one to part two and making sure I had the transition in my mind. And every day by the end, the last maybe six weeks, Anthony, I said that talk out loud every single day for about six weeks. And so, but the point that we got to do it, people were like, you're nervous. I'm like, I'm so tired of this talk. I just want to give it. (laughs) I could still do it now for you word for word. It's in my head, right? I bet you could too. Yes. Uh Yeah. I feel like that's the only way you can do it. I mean, you can't really just go out there and wing it. It it needs to kind of be in your head, especially when your talk is as serious as yours was and, and, and mine yes yeah. you need to memorize it because if you mess up at any point you know it doesn't look good especially in front of a live audience so i did want to ask you did you practice in front of people for the talk you know not really okay. i i gave it to my two high school best friends and my high school best friend's partner i did that for them once and then i did for uh dr reinwald what, jennifer you, reinwald yes, yes yes and she was awesome so i worked with her and that's it. I filmed myself doing it. I I didn't really want to do it in front of many people. I didn't want to, I don't know. At some point, my husband's like, well, you haven't asked to do it in front of me. I'm like, I don't even want to know what you have to say now. Like, it's in my head. I'm not going to change it. And I, I just need to just do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. How about you? Did you do it in front of a lot of people? Uh it's funny you say that because I actually had a similar experience. I really didn't do it. I didn't do it in front of anyone, really. Mainly because sort of the same reasons that you had. I kind of just wanted, like, I had what I had. I didn't want any outside opinion trying to sway me from saying something. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I did it in front of my mom. That Mm -hmm. was was really it, though. Hey, moms are great. They are. Exactly. (laughs) So you've been on a number of big news stations. Uh, You've done podcasts. How does the TEDx event at Widener stack up? with other events that you've done in the past? Yeah, I'm, I've been so blessed to do so many different things and speak honestly all over the country. But the TEDx experience, I think, was a highlight for me. I really do. I think just because I had the chance to say something that was so important to me, and not just to me, but to all the people in this world who look different. And so I'm speaking about the experience of disfigurement But let me be clear, there's all kinds of people in this world who don't look the way they want to look. Right. (laughs) You know, you don't have to be disfigured in order to feel self-conscious about how you look and how people perceive you. And I just think it's such an important topic. Although, yeah, I mean, it was very exciting to be on NBC and it was very exciting to do all those things. And I'm, I'm, I'm not putting them down. This was a real career highlight for me. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and something about TEDx, you know, it's yeah. it's it's so high profile 
and it reaches a ton, a ton of people. And like you said, nowadays, right, people are struggling um, with depression rates like we've never mm -hmm. seen before. And like you said, you don't even have to be maybe physically disfigured to experience thoughts about yourself in a negative light. Yep. I wanted to ask you, when it came to your talk, right, you wrote an entire book on it and you have so much experience, you could probably, I don't know if your book could have been longer because you probably have so much to say. Was it hard for you to condense your life story into a short little talk like that? Mm. Well, I didn't. I, I only talked about a little piece of my life story, gotcha. actually. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the part that was pertinent to this message about disfigurement. I There's all kinds of stuff that didn't wind up in the TED Talk because it wouldn't, it wouldn't have served the purpose. Yeah. You know, you did the same thing, Anthony. There's this arc that you need to do with the TED Talk that I think anyway, to kind of pull people in and keep them interested. Mm -hmm. And you keep having to change it up so that people aren't like, oh, yeah, I heard you. Uh, right. So I was very careful about that, wanting to make sure that all these different twists and turns to a talk so people would be still engaged and hooked in. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt the exact same way. So your talk was titled Scarred Not Scary. Yes. Um, and I love that. And you actually walked out on stage with a sleeveless mm -hmm. shirt on. So that was showing some of your wounds mm -hmm. and your scars. So I was just wondering, I like the play that you did with the title and how you showed yourself, if you could just touch on that a mm -hmm. little bit. Yeah. The talk is called Scarred Not Scary. And what that refers to is the idea that, first of all, people do tend to be wary about people who look different. Mm. There's a discomfort that a lot of people feel and where that comes from. And what we know is that in a lot of films and movies and TV shows, villains are portrayed as people with disfigurement. And you might think, hmm, well, who's, who could that be? Well, lots of people. Mm -hmm. um, Darth Vader, Voldemort, uh, the Penguin and the Batman. Um, the, the, in The Witcher, the, the recent series of The Witcher, there's a disfigured evil villain character, uh, Scar and the Lion King. I, mean, I could go on and on and on that scarred people are often portrayed as being evil or sometimes just pathetic, but always like pretty bad <laughs> in right. film and TV. And so, you know, partly what I was trying to do with this talk, Scarred Not Scary, is to really call that out mm. because it's prejudicial. Yeah. I mean, it's awful, right? We, we don't do that to any other marginalized group. I defy you to find one. It would be unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But somehow for people who look different, that is still, we're like still fair game. So one of the ways to change that is to let, you know, the general public, like, have you noticed this? Because as soon as people notice it, almost always people are like, that's terrible. And so you need that general awareness in order to create change. And of course, the more of us who note, notice this and say, oh, I don't like that. Um, the less the entertainment industry will continue to do it because, you know, they want to please people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, that that is amazing. And it, it is good that, that you did that. Um, so switching gears a little bit. Yep. You graduated from Tufts University yep. in Boston. Yes. That, yes, Boston. Mm -hmm. I have a buddy who goes there. Um, Great and, school. Yeah. That's what I've heard. And you did your master's or you got your doctorate. Uh, from Widener. I did. Right. So mm -hmm. you are an alumni. 
Um, and this is the second year that Widener has put on this TEDx event. So I wanted to hear from your perspective um, as an outsider kind of coming back to Widener. How do you think Widener did with the production overall uh, with TEDx and um, your experience as a whole? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been lovely coming back. I I don't live close, so I haven't returned to the campus, I think, actually, until this series of events, both here and then also I, I spoke at my graduate school program as part of this, actually. So I was back for there. I thought, um, I mean, the team just did a phenomenal job. They took it so seriously. And I, I appreciated the structure of it. Um, I kept saying to my husband, like, well, now I have to submit an outline. Well, now I have to set up an interview. And he, now I have to practice that. He's like, what? <laughs> it's like you're back in school. I said, I said yeah, no, they have this whole structure to yeah. make sure that by the time you arrive, you really know what you're doing. And and uh, I thought it was great. Extremely um, well organized and kept me on track. And I, 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 I thought the whole experience was phenomenal. Awesome. Amazing. Likewise, likewise. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you were talking a little bit before how you hadn't really practiced your talk in front of too many people. Yeah. Uh, you said two of your... My best friends best, from high school. Best yeah. friends from high school. Mm-hmm. Who better? Who better right, to practice exactly. talking from? Um, when you got out on that stage, um, was it different? You said you, you, you said you'd said it to yourself almost every day for the past few weeks. So... Was it different at all? And did you get nervous giving the talk? I don't get nervous. Um, yeah, no. I I I'm I was an actor when I was in high school and in college. I loved being on stage actually. So to me, I get excited. Maybe maybe some people would take that same feeling and call it nervousness. To me, that kind of amped up feeling is excitement. Um, and I love to speak and I love to entertain and make people laugh and mm-hmm. make people feel things. Yeah. So to me, it's, uh, I'm just in my, I'm in my zone when oh. I'm out there on stage. Awesome. Yeah. Amazing. So, um, your life, right. Has been a challenge, right. Yeah. And you've gone through many, many hard experiences, but you've also been very successful and it seems like not the TED talk necessarily, but your um, the things you've done within your career almost seem like a cumulative case with what has happened throughout your entire life. So with your TED talk, did it almost feel like a, not like a bow that's tied on everything, but I guess it just feels good to share your story mm-hmm. with all the things that you've done it in in your life. Mhm. Mhm. So, I guess, I guess like my question is in high school, would would you ever see yourself talking <laughs> no. in front for TEDx, you know what I mean? No. No, I mean in high school I'm laughing because like in high school I would have never thought I would write a book. Mm-hmm. Um I would have never thought I would be on the radio or TV. It's not that I wouldn't think that I like maybe had something to say or had some talent, but I just never would have dreamed that high for myself, which is one of the things that I always like to say to young people now, you know, and I'm looking at you and we've got a few decades between us here, which is the whole idea. Like, um, if, if you don't 
dream high, you're, you won't get there. Yeah. And dreaming high doesn't mean you're going to get there in five years or 10 or even 30. But try to dream high. Because that's the way paths open up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't imagine that someday you could be doing this or that, then you're not going to even work towards doing this or that. Uh, and I never would have thought that I would write a book or I would win awards or I'd, I presented to the American Psychological Association a couple months ago. That's, you know, that's kind of the pinnacle of my profession. I guess it's not the pinnacle. That would be like if you were keynoting. But anyway, it's still a pretty big deal. Oh, no. That, no, and definitely. like I never would have thought that I would be doing these things. So you just never know where you're going to get if you work really hard and keep trying. Definitely. Um, and yeah, like you said, you've had to come over a number of obstacles throughout your life. Obviously, what you went through when you were four years old, um, when your brother unfortunately took his own life. I want to, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that mm-hmm. as a burn victim, right? Survivor. Survivor. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're, no, right. you're right. Um, as a survivor. And then with the passing of your brother, did that, it, I don't want to say like everything was going wrong for you, but you, you were facing a lot of hard things. And then for that to happen, yeah. like, did that just add to the trauma significantly? If you could touch on that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just me and my brother. He was five years older than me, mm-hmm. and he was and is really my very favorite person. Yeah. There's no question. He was a very special person. And as long as he was alive, he kind of took care of me, kept me under his wing, looked out for me. And when I lost him, there was something in me that just kind of pulled myself together and was like, I got to, I got to take care of myself, man. (laughs) I got to get myself together. Mm -hmm. And um, I went into therapy and I just started to think more like a grown-up and realize that anything could happen and it was up for me for those things to happen and turn out well. So I think my brother's death was a wake-up call. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Um, so you said you went to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, your brother really looked after you. So my question to you is, when you had that wake-up call, um, what were what were some of the steps that you took? Because I, I, I assume, I, I can't even imagine how hard it is to wake up. Because I, I care about what people think of me a lot of the times, right? Mm-hmm. Like what I'm wearing, right? Mm-hmm. And for you to go out of the house every day, wondering what people are going to think of you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. just being yourself. Like I can only imagine how hard that would be. So what were some of the things you did to overcome caring, I guess, or mm. dealing with how people thought of you? Hmm. So I think one of the things that might've made it a little easier for me paradoxically is that I was burned so little, I was four, Mm. which is before you become self-conscious about how you look. True. So I never really had to change that. And I think I always knew that people were going to look at me and that's how it was. But what I also knew was that 
I was really good at connecting with people and that I had a little bit of a superpower in terms of I knew how to smile at people. I knew how to talk to people. I knew how to make people my friend. So I think instead of, I always viewed it as a little bit of a challenge, quite honestly. I think that's really what it was. It became like, I'm going to make this okay. Mm. I'm going to handle this. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's awesome um it's and, a mindset right yeah, yeah yeah that's great if you have that mindset i mean you're unstoppable really. yeah so with that mindset um and how you just said that you're great with talking to people connecting with people you almost have a superpower in that sense and then you ended up being a psychologist and now you help people for a living mm-hmm. um my question is has has this experience has this traumatic experience when you were four almost kind of help you within your psychology uh, career mm-hmm. because you can you can almost relate to these people right gotcha. I think it does I think first of all for all of us when you have suffered you become a richer person and I think that's the actual the gift of suffering is that it deepens us as people. Um, usually makes us more compassionate and more caring. And I think actually as a psychologist with scarring, it may help, in fact, my clients connect with me because I don't come across, I mean, I, you know, I still try to look nice and everything, no, but yeah. I, I, I right. you know, I'm professional, right. but I, I don't come across as somebody who has like a perfect life. Like they immediately can tell, oh, this woman's been through something too. Mm. So I think it actually helps. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So that is all I have today. Um, I guess I'll finish with this. Um for anyone who is struggling out there with maybe how they look or um, their persona of themselves, what what were what are some things that you could say to encourage them? Um, since you are a psychologist and you have a ton of experience helping helping people mm-hmm. of all of all kinds, what what would you say to someone like that that might be that might be in the shoes that you were in when you were younger? Um, first of all, I would say that. Um you people should try to connect with communities of people who've gone through things that they've gone through. Like for me, there's um, the Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors. It's an international group of people who've been through who've been through a fire and are scarred now, and um, they support each other. So I think that's one thing to think about if you are disfigured in some way or you look different in some way is trying to connect with online communities of people who've gone through what you've gone through so that you don't feel so alone. And then another thing I would say, my husband and I, um, we joke about this. Um, physical beauty is a rapidly diminishing asset. (laughs) So what I mean by that is you can be the most gorgeous 21 year old you'll ever see in your life. But I promise you, when you're 61, you're not going to look like that. And that's the case for everybody, whether you're beautiful and handsome now or whether you're really not, um, that it doesn't make a lot of sense to invest a lot in your looks because you will lose them. Mm-hmm. And what it really makes sense to invest in is your education and your mental health and your physical health and your character. Most of all, your character. Yeah. Because that appreciates over time. Yeah. 
That's very wise advice. Um, and yeah, that's amazing for anyone, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm even going to take that. So I appreciate that. Um, folks, that is all the time that we have today. Thank you so much, Dr. Daguerre. I appreciate it. Dr. Daguerre's book is on sale. Her memoir, Flashback Girl, Lessons on, on Resilience from a Burn Survivor. And go to YouTube and go watch her talk, uh, Scarred, Not Scary, uh, her TED Talk. Uh, it already has 2,000 views. Over. 2.1. 2.1, excuse me. Sorry. Yes, 2.1 thousand views. So, yeah, go check that out as well. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Far and Widener podcast. Far and Widener is produced by Widener University's Advancement Staff. To learn more about Widener University, visit widener.edu. If you like the show, please help us and show your support. Subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd love to know what you think of this episode and our program. Alumni, we want to hear from you. If your Widener education started you on a path to something you never imagined, or you want to share your experience and expertise, you could be a future guest on the show. Just send an email to widenerpodcast at widener.edu. Thanks for listening.